but I don't think it will it will be more important than what we saw last week. I think the picture is emerging. China has done okay, but I think there's enough reason to be a bit a bit concerned as we head into the second half of the year. And what about markets as we head into the second half of the year? What's your uh, outlook for Hong Kong Chinese markets? You know, look, I expect um, I expect further displacement of Chinese companies from the U.S. back to Chinese markets. And ordinarily, you would think that that would be uh, at least a temporary bump for Hong Kong's IPO market, which it has been, you know, uh, has cooled down a bit, but has been red hot in general of recent. But China's tech crackdown has really also been dampening spirits. Um so it's a bit it's a bit tough to say. There are some reasons why Chinese markets should hold up a bit, um, but there's plenty of cause for concern. And Hong Kong, I'm afraid, I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit more negative on. Brock, thanks very much. Talk to you again soon. That's Brock Silver's chief investment officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Markets are slipping a little bit from their early highs. The SX200 now is flat. Also, uh, gains in uh, in Japan are being cut more than in half now. The uh, Nikkei 225, which was up 1%, is up about a third of a percent. Over in South, South Korea, the Cosby up 0.6%. Uh, futures markets indicating a gain of about 0.4% for the Hang Seng at the open. And in the commodities markets, gold is up a little bit now, $1,892 an ounce. Brent crude oil also a bit firmer at $72.02 a barrel. Do please stay tuned for Back Chats coming up after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse on Radio 3. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, one or two showers. Sunny periods during the day, maximum temperature of around 31 degrees. And then the outlook is for occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days. 27 degrees right now, 80% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The government says genetic sequencing shows Shenzhen is unlikely to be the source of a COVID-19 variant that first infected a 17-year-old Hong Kong girl and then her mother, who shows no symptoms. The girl's 20-year-old sister has also tested preliminary positive. Choi Kin, the head of the Medical Association, says he's worried Hong Kong's low vaccination rate may lead to a fifth wave of infections. Unless we get very mass vaccination uh, rate of uh, up to maybe 70 to 80 percent, uh, it may be difficult to prevent another outbreak from overflowing the city. And uh, as I said, Taiwan, Malaysia, uh, Singapore and so on are all good examples of not getting uh, enough vaccination rate. The government said late last night it was suspending quarantine-free arrangements for Hong Kong people returning from certain high-risk places in Guangdong province, including parts of Shenzhen, which is experiencing a rise in cases. Polls have closed in Mexico after midterm elections, seen as a test of support for President Andres Manuel López Obrador. He's hoping his Morena party will retain its two-thirds majority in Congress to continue the social and welfare reforms he calls the fourth transformation. The electoral campaign was beset by violence, with more than 30 candidates killed. On election day, there were more violent incidents, but voters' main concern was the government's handling of the pandemic.
There are many people who live hand to mouth in Mexico. You're not thinking about what's going to happen in a year or in three months' time because you need to eat today. In my opinion, it's not ethical for the government to use the power they have to manipulate the population this way. But as much as they try to hide it, it's evident they haven't handled a pandemic well. Germany's governing Christian Democrats are celebrating a convincing victory in a key state election, the last before national polls in September. The first results put them at 36 percent in Saxony-Anhalt. The anti-immigrant AFD party is trailing at less than 23. The results are a big boost for the new CDU leader Armin Laschet, who hopes to succeed Angela Merkel as chancellor. Speaking in a German TV interview, the head of the CDU parliamentary group, Ralf Brinkhaus, welcomed the result. We celebrate our victory today. This is the biggest gain we've had since the election in North Rhine-Westphalia in 2017. And that shows that the CDU can govern, also CDU under Armin Laschet. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Legal issues today and sky-high car parks. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has recently warned against politicising Hong Kong's illegal aid system amid mounting allegations that it had been abused by protesters. A woman who suffered a serious eye injury during a 2019 protest has initiated legal proceedings to block police access to her medical records. Pro-establishment lawmakers have been questioning the legal aid department to explain its decision to grant her financial subsidies. The director of the department, Thomas Kwong, decried the attack, saying 90% of their cases deal with issues facing ordinary people, such as employment disputes and injury claims. What do you think about the system as it stands? Carrie Lam said the legal aid department should change with the times and will review the situation. Do you agree. And meanwhile, the former top British judge, Baroness Brenda Hale, says that she will quit the court of final appeal when her first term expires next month. What do you make of that as a legal development? After 9.15, we're going to be discussing car parking. A car parking space in Mount Nicholson on the peak was solved for a record 10 million Hong Kong dollars. What's up there? Let us know your thoughts as ever. You can leave comments on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on our number is 233 33 
Richard says the website promotion for today's show states, among other things, that Judge Baroness Brenda Hale says that she will quit the Court of Final Appeal when her first term expires next month, citing concerns over the national security law. In its news report, RTHK said her term with the SAR's top court will end in July and quoted her as saying, the jury is out on how they will be able to operate the new national security law. There are all sorts of question marks up in the air, unquote. Perhaps RTHK should learn to word its reports more carefully lest someone criticise them for sloppy, deliberately misleading, sensationalist copy, accusing RTHK of coming to this conclusion on its own, implying that her questioning how the NSL would be operated was the basis of her decision not to renew a contract, which is not technically quitting, without actually establishing how these are linked. For all we know, she could simply have decided not to renew her her contract because the COVID-related travel restrictions made her more homesick than she would otherwise have been. Uh, Herman says, uh, on the subject of the woman who suffered the serious eye injury, according to RTHK, the woman who suffered serious eye injury was granted legal aid to the consternation of pro-establishment lawmakers. I guess RTHK was unaware that Oriental Daily ran story about this woman fleeing to set to Taiwan last September, complete with pictures of her at the airport that clearly showed her both her eyes fully exposed with no obvious signs of injury. If Oriental Daily's report is inaccurate, this woman ought to release her medical records to show that she is not a fraud and start legal proceedings against the paper for defamation. But what if Oriental Daily had actually found evidence of the woman's mendacity and RTHK continued supporting her claim of serious eye injury at the hands of the Hong Kong police? Would this advance the timetable for the launch of RTVBHK and rubbish the Guardian's characterisation of RTHK as a respected public broadcaster in more people's eyes? That's from uh, Herman. And uh, Bowen says, I agree with Cliff Buddle's piece in the South China Morning Post when he maintains that the continued presence of foreign judges on the Court of Final Appeal is vital as they bring much-needed expertise and help ensure judicial independence is in place. But it should also be remembered that in deciding whether they will stay, the foreign, non-permanent judges will need to assess whether the city's legal system on the whole operates in accordance with the norms of a common law system properly so-called, of which judicial independence can be seen as the last and arguably most critical piece. There are many other important pieces of the salami, if you like, and it won't do if one waits until all of those other pieces have been sliced off and consumed. One such other legal, uh, such, one such other piece is the quality and propriety of our legislation. Tim Hamlet made a good point when he wrote, quote, independent judges are a useful protection against illegal action by overbearing officials. They are no protection at all against bad laws, unquote. Other critical pieces are, for example, the propriety of the decisions of the DOJ, the rules of natural justice, the untrammeled and privileged access of litigants to and from lawyers of their choice, how the executive branch handles court decisions and access to the legal mechanism, which is today's main topic. That is from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, it is, it is today's uh, main topic. We're going to be talking uh, shortly, we hope, to uh, Regina Ip. Oh, she's on the line now. OK, good. Uh, a lawmaker, an executive uh, counsellor, and uh, Mark Daly, a human rights lawyer and a member of the Law Society Council. Uh, Mr. Daly, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So the uh, the administration has spoken of uh, uh, said there will be some kind of review of the uh, of the legal aid uh, situation. It's got to stay up to date. Uh, it, it in Hong Kong. Uh, what do you think of that? And what do you think should be included in that? Uh, well, I mean, certainly, uh, Mr. Thomas Kwong. I don't have to. Uh 
go to bat for him. He did, he did a very good job uh, explaining and, and defending the legal aid system as it is. There's nothing to to worry about about there being a review. I mean, it can always improve. Um, and uh, you know, certainly from from the stand my standpoint, uh, we do a lot of legal aid cases uh, myself and a number of lawyers that I work with. And for people who don't have means, it's very difficult to get legal aid. Be the first point that I would make. It's it's uh, it's rigidly controlled. Uh, it's not easy to get, and there's there's built-in checks and balances to in order to get legal aid. And there's a legal aid services council that oversees the implementation of legal aid. It's not easy to get. From certainly from our standpoint, you need a lot of pro bono uh, work in advance to even uh, develop the uh, legal grounds to try to convince legal aid in many cases to grant legal aid. So, and often people can't get that. So very difficult to get legal aid and as uh, as the report uh, said uh, judicial review is a tiny fraction of the legal aid budget most uh, most of the legal aid budget goes to family cases personal injury cases uh, cases of that nature so it's uh, i'm not sure uh, what's uh, what's kicking off this uh, the, the complaint here but um, but i think you know legal being able to take judicial review to challenge either uh, illegal or irrational government decisions is an important part mm-hmm. of the rule of law and increasingly important now that we don't have uh, different voices in the in the legislature. And uh, Mark, yeah. as I recall from a viewing, I think I used to do the budget for the Legal Aid Department many years ago, um, there's a means test and a merits test, and they're clearly distinct. Right. So, so you have so to show you're poor. You have to show both, right? You have yeah. to show clearly that you're that you're uh, that you can't afford legal proceedings on your own, and then uh, and then you have to show uh, merit. And, and how do they judge the merit? Who establishes that? Um, that's uh, that's done by the legal aid, you know, the legal aid uh, officer, and sometimes they will get an independent opinion to assess whether the case is meritorious or not, called a Section Nine opinion. And uh, ultimately, if the decision is, um, there's a legal aid appeal process, uh, if the decision is negative and that goes to, um, to, uh, uh, to the, to the high, to the to high judge. Court. Yes, it, it, as I recall, it, the appeal, if yeah. legal aid is denied, is to a judge. Right. And how do they find an independent opinion in this day and age in Hong Kong? Um, well, you know, obviously uh, they, uh, they have a panel of, uh, of, of lawyers, uh, usually uh, barristers, um, and uh, they, they do an independent opinion. They assess the, the merits of the case, and they report that back to the legal aid department to, to decide whether uh, legal aid should be granted. That's, that's not the norm, but that's one of the, one of the built-in checks uh, in, in this process. But certainly from... I, I, Doing uh, legally aided cases for for those who don't have means, uh, refugees, migrant workers, and such, and it's very difficult to get legal aid. We we do we spend a lot of hours pro bono uh, helping them. Even if you get if, if the process takes a lot of time, um, it's it's not an easy process. So I'm not sure uh, where the uh, what the the origins of the complaint are. Okay, well let's bring in now uh, uh, Mrs. Yip. Good morning to you. 
Good morning. Thanks so much indeed for joining. What, what are your concerns about the legal aid system as it stands? The legal aid system is an integral part of our legal system. I think there is no big problem with the current legal aid system except for a few controversial cases. You know, Mike Rouse mentioned earlier, how do you assess merit? Actually, the high court rules say you have to have a sufficient interest. You know, you have to have local standard. For example, there is a recent case, Mr. Kwok Chukin of Chengchong and one other applied for judicial review of the indigenous residents' right to a small house. And they were chided by Judge, I think, Anderson Chow for not having sufficient interest. They are not indigenous residents and they have no plan to build small houses. So actually they have no locus. So why was legal aid granted? And it's not just granting of legal aid. Why was leave given by high court? So when we see controversial cases, which my colleagues in Lexical complain a lot about, it's not, um, they have come about not just because of direct legal aid decision, also the judiciary, because appeal cases go to the master of the Supreme Court, and it's the high court which gives leave for judicial review. And as Mark Daly pointed out, judicial review cases constitute only a small part of legal aid, legally aided cases. Yeah, I if, myself, I, if, if I can just, uh, yeah, if I can just add on that. So, in that case, if leave was granted by the high court, then that would support the fact that legal aid should have been granted. I mean, uh, the high court, obviously the uh, judge of the high court thought there was enough merit to the case to grant legal aid. And, uh, the, but then if it went further and, uh, and there was uh, uh, criticism about standing or whatever it is, then, then, uh, then legal aid would look at that and, and uh, uh, consider whether legal aid should continue or not. So, uh, well, so I, I think the, the, judiciary, with, the judiciary should also look at whether leave has been granted to not sufficiently rigorously, because these cases drag on a long, long time, you know, and a lot of taxpayers' money is involved at the end of the day. You know, some lawyers, you know, some applicants were chided by the courts for not having standing. I think the court's likely to tighten up because from a recent case, 803 funds application for judicial review uh, against the director buildings for not taking action against Claudia Moe's family's illegal structure. Um, Judge Anderson Chow, you know, um, made important pronouncements on standing. I think the court is likely to tighten up. It's not good enough if your issue is of public interest. You have to have a private interest. Not anybody can ask for judicial review. So I think the responsibility lies not just with the director of legal aid, also with judges at various levels, the masters, you know, the high court judge, and even judges at senior level for allowing some, in my opinion, non-meritorious JR cases to go on for years. Okay, that was that was the that was the CY Lang case, wasn't it? Uh, yes, uh, 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 and, and he and, has another case pending. And that was that was not allowed because it was it was said that the the uh, the, the foundation, so called, uh, didn't have standing. Is that right, basically? Well, the eight oh three fund 
does not have yeah. spending. It is its interest is not directly engaged. You know, so, so, but, but there could what, be an appeal. Why? Why? Why, why, against that. Sure. why does why does the talk, discussion of legal aid keep blending into the discussion about about judicial review? Aren't they different things? Because they, they well, I have assisted members of public to apply for legal aid in medical negligence cases, and um, I have no grudge against legal aid. I think that those cases were handled well. I think KR cases seriously constitute a small small part of legal aid department's budget, but those are high-profile cases. And there are actually a few quite unsatisfactory cases. For example, K, you know, K versus the Commission of Police regarding that warrant, you know, again, the applicant, uh, again, the applicant's lawyers were chided by the, by the judge for the, the poor standard of the legal arguments, you know, um, you know, very tortuous argument, wasting court time and all that. So I think the court should also tighten up. But Regina, the, it, the court should not just grant leave for no, the, uh, uh, judicial review just because somebody claims right. constitutional but they rights. Don't. No, 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 no one's I think uh, you've hit on a point there, uh, though. The 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 there's extra. Seems like there's extra scrutiny because of because of the fact that it's a judicial review case, because it's challenging a government decision. And, um, you know, if we had the same scrutiny on private cases, I'm sure there'd be some that, uh, you know, some will say should go lean this way or some should lean this way. But, but um, you know, I think we, we've hit on a point here as well. Judicial review is a small fraction. Yes, they are, they are sensitive uh, cases in many ways, uh, but... Judicial review is necessary for the rule of law, and man, it's more important now because we don't have um, we have fewer differing views in the legislative council and uh, less scrutiny of government. So uh, I think it's uh, more important that uh, that we don't uh, tinker. Well, with we we the actually system. still have a lot of scrutiny of executive um, proposals in LegCo. I must correct that, you know. But um, looking back, I think JR cases, JR applications, even those submitted by Leung Kwok Hong, my former colleague, long hair, has resulted in important lead uh, landmark judgments in leading cases, which are very important. Leung Kwok Hong's uh, JR of public order ordinance, Leung Kwok Hong's JR of the powers of the LegCo president to stop filibustering. Uh, these cases have resulted in important judgments, which are very helpful to all of us going forward. Regina, it sounds to me as though the system is basically working. There's a very small number of cases which become very controversial. Yes, there are, you know, I can cite, uh, I know which are the cases, you know. Uh, Falun Gong case, a Falun Gong case which has dragged on since 2013, holding up criminal prosecution, still not resolved, a lot of taxpayers' money involved, very badly handled, not just by legal department, but I think by the courts. Uh, K versus the Commission of Police, the uh, indigenous right, uh, indigenous residents' right to small house case, you know. There are a few of them, very controversial, very political. My colleagues are very unhappy about them. But I, but it is okay for the chief secretary to take a good look. You know, I think he owes it to all of us to do, 
a, a thorough review and lay, lay out the facts, how much money is spent on uh, judicial review cases, what went wrong, and what, 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 what got right, what was, um, um, what was done right, you know, I think an overall review would, would help to quell the controversy. What, sorry, what, what would it look at? You can't just say what's done wrong and what's done right. What would well, be the well, terms of reference? Well, look at the budget. Look at the budget, you know. JR cases, what proportion was that? Has that been rising? There are also complaints about allocation of cases. Sorry, what proportion there of is, legal aid is spent on, on JRs? Is that, is that your question? Uh, yes, yes, yes. There are other cases, personal injury, a lot of personal injury, workman compensation, you know. I think uh, Mike might, might remember. I think legal aid um, funds are non-cash limited. You know, uh, the the any rise in expenditure over the years. You know, uh, what were the controversial cases? In those cases, what went wrong? Uh, was a legal aid department too negligent? You know, over liberal in granting legal aid. You know, and how did the courts handle it? You know, judges. More senior judges seem to think that um, JR should not have been granted in some of those cases. Well, some ex-judges. Mark, Mark Daly, would you welcome... Would, no, 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 Anderson Chow also in his judgment. Certainly, I think, certainly uh, more transparency. I'm, I'm, I'm always a, a believer in more transparency. And then, and, then, uh, and then we get to the truth about things. So, but it sounds like the complaint is against some of the judicial decisions. And um, and if I can continue, it sounds like the complaint is against judicial decisions. So, I mean, I think um, we also have uh, complaints against uh, some of the judicial decisions when it goes uh, against our clients in the refugee migrant worker area. So your your uh, your remedy is to uh, to appeal the case to to the higher court, but not to not to pull the rug under the legal aid. Um, for for the for the person concerned, I think the uh, in in sensitive cases where people's rights are at stake, we would want the higher courts making the decision and not somebody uh, pulling the rug uh, from them having that access to the courts. I mean, there is that appeal mechanism, uh, Regina. What what what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having the judge, uh, as we've heard in earlier cases, having the judge make the decision on whether or not to grant legal aid? I think the appeal, you know, if you don't grant legal aid, you could appeal to the master of the Supreme Court, you know. And then um, a judge has to grant leave. And if the judge doesn't grant leave, you can go to court of first instance, whatever, you know. And um, I think um, some cases show that some judges might right. have, you know, granted leave, again, not sufficiently, right. uh, rigorously, Regina, looking this, at locus vendi and all that. This know. sounds like the common law system working, that is, that there is a judgment, a judgment is appealed, and then we have a, a new guideline in an area where we were maybe not doing it quite right before. But that's, that's how the common law system works, isn't it? Well, there's always room for improvement. Judges can always correct themselves. That happens all the time in common other common law jurisdictions.
Right. So you see, you see, other people will see this as a, a as just a, you know part of a pro-establishment onslaught led by Holden Chow and others against the judicial system. Uh, and this, uh, I mean, I'm focusing on these high-profile cases when they are, you know, where they are by no means typical. Uh, you, you know, it, it's just is is sheer politicisation. That's what Carrie Lam has been has been has been warning against. I think a lot of people will say this is just the pro-establishment forces uh, once again. Uh, kicking the judges and forcing them into things like the sentencing reviews. That's been a quadruple the number of sentencing reviews. There is an enormous amount of pressure now on the judiciary, and this is this is just stepping it up. Um, I think my colleagues they are reacting to strong feelings on the part of their constituents. You know, as politicians, they have to take up complaints from their. So you admit it's 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 it's. Uh, it, this is not legal. This is. This, works. Mm-hmm. This is this is just pressure from from Beijing essentially. This is Beijing leaning on the on the judges of Hong Kong. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah, agree I with that because I I have constituencies are are putting am, that um, pressure on. Then I think it's the duty of the legislative councillors to uh, to be explaining to the public uh, that the system how it how it works and the checks and balances and why it's important for the rule of law. Uh, Mrs. Yeah, can I, I can I can I, I, can I, can I do that? Hmm. Somehow my explanation is too complicated for my constituents. You know, I've done videos which need to be chopped into several parts. Too, to too make complicated it for ta- taxi drivers I'm, I'm and people. Mrs. Yip, sorry, just before we go, because I, I know you wanted to go at nine, nine, nine o'clock. Your, your thoughts on uh, uh, Baroness Hale uh, not renewing uh, membership of the Court of uh, Final Appeal? What do you think make of that? Oh, it's. Um, it's purely a personal decision. But I don't think we need both the president and the vice president of UK Supreme Court on our court of final appeal. You know, we don't need that. You know? so, so no great loss. We, we, you know, it's okay. It's her choice. She's a brilliant judge, no doubt. But we can draw on judges from other jurisdictions, you know, such as Ireland. I've been told that brilliant judges from Ireland. We have former CJs from Ireland. Okay. Well, many thanks for for that. Uh, we will continue the discussion with Mark Daly after the news. And I'm Mrs. Yip. Thank you very thanks for join, joining us. A lawmaker, member of the Executive Council, chairwoman of the New People's Party. Uh, we're also going to be talking uh, later about that uh, record price paid for uh, a car park. Uh, what do you make of that? Or what do you make of the debate on uh, legal aid and on uh, Baroness Hale? Uh, please share your thoughts by emailing backchat at rthk.hk. Commenting on our Facebook page as well. We've got some comments on Facebook which we we'll get to uh, in a moment. Or or just uh, join the conversation by phone, 233-88266. The weather briefly before the news now at 9 o'clock. It's going to be mainly cloudy today with a couple of showers. Sunny periods during the day, temperatures up to about 31 degrees and the outlook, occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days. 28 degrees now, relative humidity is at 79%. Back in three minutes' time. HK. Welcome back. This is uh, Back Chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're not talking about COVID for a change. Uh, <laughs> hooray. We're talking about uh, uh, legal issues, uh, in particular uh, the uh, status of the legal aid system uh, in Hong Kong following uh, some controversy, a discussion uh, in the Legislative Council and uh, statements uh, saying that there will be some kind of review of the uh, uh, the issue of uh, how legal aid is distributed uh, in Hong Kong. We were talking to uh, Regina Yip, Executive Councillor, and Mark Daly in the first part of the programme. Mark Daly is still with us. Later we're also going to be talking about record price paid for uh, 
car parks. Uh, Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. Uh, if you uh, send us an email, we'll do our best to uh, read it out. Uh, as long as it sort of uh, sticks to the basic rules um, or you can uh, just uh, do what you like and, and phone us uh, we'll put you online 233-88266 is the number uh, or you can go to our Facebook page as well and uh, share your thoughts there let's just see what's uh, on the uh, Facebook uh, page um, TC says uh, it's my understanding that the uh, Hong Kong uh, police got a copy of that girl's this is talking about K I think of that girl's medical record from the health authority if there are any inconsistencies in her story don't you think they would have released that by now also just because the person's eyes are intact does it automatically mean she wasn't injured at all. Uh, some comment there also about uh, June the 4th which we'll get to m maybe a little bit later. Um, Boris says the establishment and in inverted commas lawmakers have volunteered for legislative castration by approving the turning of the legislature into the pretend legislature that really should have been called the Hong Kong People's Congress. They now seek to neuter the judiciary and legal system's sole ability to hold the government accountable by reviewing the lawfulness of government action. Another step down the road to one country, no system, no system of rule of law. Courts and judges disagree with one another all the time. That's what an appeal system is for. It's proof the system is working, not that it's not. Further proof of the double think of the establishment. That is from uh, Boris. Matthew says, Regina is talking self-serving nonsense as always. What she really means is that she and her band of pragmatic patriot friends don't want cases funded which are politically unpalatable to the ruling authoritarian regime, like those she lists, such as JRs by the Judicial Review King of Changchao, or challenges by the Falun Gong, or to the police commissioner could her agenda be any more obvious why are she and other pro-beijing politicians attempting to interfere in and manipulate the legal system and why don't they leave it to the system to decide the argument that any non-indigenous hong kong citizen doesn't have the right to challenge the small house policy is absurd that's uh, from uh, matthew uh, martin says just look at the numbers in 1997 there were 112 applications for judicial review in 2019 there were three 3,889 cases jamming up the court system. Does this alone not suggest that the process has been abused? Hong Kong's judicial review and legal aid system has been systematically abused by the pandemocrats who were supporting most cases, using them as a political tool and source of income. Hong Kong's legal aid system has been turned into a multi-million dollar cottage industry for the legal sector, which is dominated by the pandemocrats. Many of them are coincidentally legally trained, having their own law firms or working closely with the close circle of law firms taking up those legal aid cases that is from uh, martin uh, mark daly um what, what about martin's uh, points first of all the question of the the numbers of judicial review they have they have increased uh, enormously haven't they doesn't that suggest that the process has been abused um well i'd, I'd like to see the the, the details do you see the full st stats i mean uh, you know i think uh, there need it needs to be transparent I know. I certainly know. Um, you know, we've been involved at the beginning with uh, with some of the test cases relating to the refugee system, and I know that uh, a lot of those applications to to legal aid are uh, relating to asylum seekers who've been rejected in the in the refugee system. So that's a a new system. Um, so uh, that may account for a lot of the numbers. And uh, but again, many of those don't get legal aid. Uh, and a lot of people, I understand, are 
those people without legal aid are applying on their own to the to the high court to judicially review their decision. So, so uh, yeah, we need to. The system needs to deal with these uh, these changes. But uh, certainly in the first part of the program, I think um, it seems like the complaint is against the the decisions of the judges in in cases, which uh, I think one of your uh, one of your listeners rightly said, uh, well, that's what we have appeals process for, you know, the appeals for. Yeah, there is there is a system. Yeah, it, it goes first to the director of legal aid. Yep, and from my experience, he's he's usually quite parsimonious. He's pretty tight with his budget, even yeah, though it's... Certainly our, our experience as well. But on the other hand, some of the cases, you have to say, uh, do seem to be stretching it uh, a bit in terms of what's a legitimate concern and what's a, what's a viable case. But those are his judgments. And yeah. they can be... A, 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 when it gets to court, if he's chided, then presumably he's going to learn right. from from the judge's remarks, chiding him, why did you grant... Uh, legal aid in this particular case, right? And the le- legal aid, I can tell you, with my experience, the legal aid uh, department closely watches and monitors those judgments. And the next person who tries to apply uh, for that case, the precedent is there. They they won't get legal aid. It would be difficult. Well, perhaps, perhaps this is the point where I declare that I have taken a judicial review against the government before, yeah. but I didn't apply for legal aid. So. Um, I can stay. I don't have to say any more than that. <laughs> I paid for it myself, and it was incredibly expensive. Right. Um, lawyers do charge a lot in in Hong Kong. Mark, you're a lawyer. Uh, well, uh, I think you've just I think you've just declared the Pope Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what do you want me to say? I mean, uh, you know, um, we we don't think we do, um, but uh, you know, uh, what do you want me to say? Okay. Uh, okay. Well, Martin's other point was that the legal aid system has been turned into a multi-million-dollar cottage industry for the legal sector, which is dominated by the pandemocrats. Mm. Well, you know, a, a sweeping, sweeping statement. Uh, again, let's open it up. Let's be transparent about it. I mean, more what more that I've heard uh, today, even uh, backed up by uh, Miss Ip, is that. Uh, Judicial review is a small fraction of the budget, so um, unless I see something different, uh, well, I don't see what, how that, what, that bears what, what improvements we, we, would you sorry, like to do, see? Do we, do we know it's a small fraction of the budget? We don't yeah. know it as a proportion of the budget. Uh, I, I, I thought it was, but uh, was well, in numbers, to, happy to be proven wrong. Oh well, with the, well, I think that we know the numbers are. I mean, in, in terms of cases, but they might be longer, more involved cases. So I don't know if we know about the budget what, yep. in, in budgetary terms. And what, what improvements would you like to see? in the system. If there's going to be a review, presumably people like yourself will be submitting yeah, reviews well, to the Chief One is the, the courts uh, used to be that uh, when somebody doesn't have means and they apply for legal aid uh, for a judicial review that, that delay, that, you, that, that would be a reasonable justification for delay because you don't have your uh, lawyer yet. It's complex stuff. And you shouldn't have to be forced to uh, file um, in a three-month deadline because legal aid is going to take a longer time to process. But the courts have now made it more difficult. So you, you uh, that's not necessarily a justification for uh, not filing. So the person's put in a, in a bind. How, 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 do you, how are you supposed to deal with that? You still don't have legal aid and your deadlines are, are kicking along. So they've made that more difficult. There's more and more court introduced hurdles to uh, 
for access to justice. So we, we you know, obviously we're, we're generally for the, for the little guy trying to fight through the system. We see more and more difficulties, more and more hurdles erected. So, so it's a concern now that you've got this, uh, this attack, further attacks on the legal aid uh, system without um, you know, traditional uh, different voices and opposition voices in the Legislative Council to, uh, to scrutinize these potential changes. Okay, what about this? The the other issue, uh, big legal news uh, last week, which was uh, that uh, Baroness Hale uh, is uh, going to uh, leave her post as one of the uh, non-permanent overseas judges on the on the final court final appeal. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, it's a it's the fact that it's a it's a question that is arising more and more often is is itself a concern. Um, you know, you've got uh, Baroness Hale, and you had the Australian uh, Spiegelman uh, already, and the others in the UK uh, closely monitoring what's going on. I mean, it's, uh, I agree with uh, with the chair of the bar and and uh, and Cliff Buttle that, of course, we we want to have these uh, the expertise of foreign judges on our court of final appeal. Um, but it's a legitimate question. It's a concern. Uh, you know, uh, there was a there was a spirited response from one of the judges who's continuing on our court of final appeal. Yeah, something, right? Um, in in the Times newspaper in the UK. Yes. yes. So it's it's not well, a it's not a one way river. Yeah. It's not one way, but the fact that the question's being asked is a concern. What and, did he uh, say? My take on it is that uh, we the system in 1997 that we thought would be uh, ring-fenced from the mainland system. We don't have that now. It's, there's so a, there's the a, breach, deal, a breach in the, the deal that you, As a judge, the deal that you signed up to is different because we now have, um, uh, you know, how many decisions uh, or interpretations from Beijing. We've now got the national security law, uh, which, you know, was not... Um, not created in Hong Kong. So uh, the rule of law has changed in Hong Kong, unfortunately. And uh, so if you're a judge on uh, on the Supreme Court somewhere else, it's not the same deal. It's not the same contract. Doesn't it depend on how which cases come in front of you and what you're ruling on? Well... Uh, it's not an abstract thing. It's a, a real case. Uh, well, I, I'm, I, not sure, I'm not sure... You mean, but I mean, one one of your uh, one of your listeners um, uh, referred to Tim Hamlet's article, which I invite uh, listeners to, to read. Independent judges are no protection against bad laws. Is the title? That's one aspect. Well, yep. the, the the particular judge argued that his presence was important, whether or not there was democracy, because it that had been the previous situation as well. Um, well, it, but that. Juniep saying, uh, in essence, it was not a big deal. I suppose that uh, Baroness Hale wasn't wasn't going well, to stand there again. There might be some other country that you can find a judge to. Yeah, Ireland is that she she suggested. What do yeah. you what, what do you make of that? Well, I laughed. Right? So, 
you know, I think uh, we can't put our heads in the sand. It's, it's a concern when we've got uh, eminent judges uh, questioning whether they want to sit uh, on, on our court. And I think we should, uh, we should take that seriously. She also mentioned her family, didn't she, and the difficulty in travelling. Uh, well, yep, yeah, fair. I mean, I don't have the, the transcript of what, uh, of what uh, Lady Hale uh, exactly, what her exact words were. I mean, I know there's some, uh, some uh, I only saw what was in some of the newspapers. Right, so, yeah. she, but she didn't say she was quitting. She said she wouldn't renew Right. if she were offered. So, I think that, uh, was the, that was the criticism, wasn't it? That the, invite, the new... invite her on to explain herself. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> I'm looking at the producer through the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, I, the, the, I think the, she was speaking at a conference. Right. Uh, so we haven't got a kind of written form of this. Uh, or even kind of the, 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 there are some sort of uh, direct quotes uh, going from the Law Society Gazette in in, in the UK, uh, which says uh, she said which quotes are directly saying principally I cannot foresee a time when I would actually want to get on a plane to go to Hong Kong. Um, uh, the report says Lady Hale uh, said her decision is not a com is quote not a comment on what's going on there unquote, adding that the other quote the other non permanent judges are keeping a careful eye on how things are. Uh, Lady Hale said that despite the new laws, Hong Kong still has an independent judiciary and is functioning according to with, in accordance with the rule of law, quote, at least as far as commercial law uh, is concerned. Uh, she acknowledges concerns with the laws, adding, quote, the jury is out on how they will be able to operate the new national security law. There are all sorts of question marks up in the air. Right. Uh, Which, again, quest question marks are not particularly good for the rule of law. Yeah. Again, this is a sort of a very sort of ambiguous statement, isn't it? Like yeah. the Australian one. Yeah. But you you, you find that worrying? I, I I find it worrying. Yes, uh, but not but not surprising given uh, given what the, you know the developments here. Hmm. I take a wide quite a wide view of the rule of law. Uh, I think on your show before I I, I you know refer. Uh, listeners to the to the UN definition of the rule of law and that includes democracy and participation in rule making and and uh, and you know we don't have those things so so I think it's a concern okay well uh, many thanks for uh, joining us that's uh, Mark Daly uh, on the line there a human rights lawyer member of the uh, law society council thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us a reminder that uh, I'm email address is backchat at rthk.hk we'd like to hear from you uh, any uh, response uh, any comments you want to make uh, or you can go to our Facebook page as well uh, EA says I'm interested in your discussion today we've interested in your panelists commenting on whether he thinks in six to twelve months time we'll still have the JR process in Hong Kong or whether it will have been removed that's from uh, EA unfortunately we've just said goodbye to Mark Daly, uh, sorry about that. Interesting, uh, interesting uh, question. Uh, and um, some comment on uh, Facebook, as I say, on, on, on other issues. Um, Anne says, why did Danny Gittings keep referring to the Hong Kong commemorations of the 4th of June Tiananmen Square student deaths as protests on the 7am news programme? Uh, today, there have never been protests, but an opportunity to gather and remember all those who were killed on and around the 4th of June. Um, Matthew responding to um, uh, TC's comment um, about the about uh, K 
says, uh, indeed, as Herman and his cadre of backchat alter egos stroke friends may well understand, it's even possible to have perfect eyesight and still be blind, either by ignorance or self-serving choice to what is happening around you. Uh, and TC says, Richard Choi's behaviour very disappointing when one of his organisation's executive was arrested for stating her plans to commemorate 8964 personally. He distanced the organisation from her. Isn't one of the mission if the organisation is to have people commemorating the event whatever way they can? I think for the interest in the organisation, he should resign his position uh, in it. That is uh, from TC. Uh, thanks very much indeed. Once again, our email address is backchat.rthk.hk. Or our telephone number is 233-88266. John says, one, here's one more, Regina Ip can head the commission to recruit new foreign judges to sit on the Court of Final Appeal. Zimbabwe should be a good choice. Common law system, salary levels that will make Hong Kong gigs attractive, deference to the powers that be always guaranteed. Go for it, Regina. That is from John. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, finally today, uh, as mentioned, we wanted to turn to uh, the interesting case of a, uh, a $10 million car parking space. Um, that was the uh, record amount that uh, uh, has been uh, paid for um, uh, just that, a, a car parking space at the uh, exclusive uh, uh, Mount Nicholson on the uh, peak uh, development. We're joined now by Hannah Jung, who's a head of valuation and advisory service advisory services at Colliers uh, in, in Hong Kong. Ms. Jung, good morning to you. Morning. Hi, many thanks for, for joining us. That's a huge amount of money, <laughs> isn't it? Why, why, is, why is, first of all, what, is this special? Is, why is car parking so expensive in Hong Kong, more, more expensive than practically anywhere in the world? I think we have to look at the fundamental car park, there's a cost, right? There's a land cost and construction cost. So even not only at the peak, but if we look at the just mass market where the general um, the residentials are located, if the developer need to make money, the minimum cost will be about one million per lot. So that's sort of a fundamental. So like ten years ago, developers couldn't really think that car park can make money because the cost itself is in like one million. So. They have to sell more than that. And 10 years ago, it wasn't really that price. So developers start to build less car park within their residential and maximize their residential space. But now, car park price easily reach 2 to $3 million per lot in most of the residential locations. And developers start to build more. But there is, of course, a lack of supply last 10 years. Mm. And my Nicholson case is the reserve the car park price actually start with the $9 million per lot. And if you buy, like, say, $60 million apartment or even $100 million house, you don't have a car park, it's ridiculous, so, right? So the buyer must pay for the car park, and developer reserve price of $9 million, and if you want to bid for the right location near the entrance whatsoever, um, they have to bid for the price, and this tender will pay for $10.8 million, yes. Ms. Chang, was this was this the price demanded, or was it an auction, or or? My Nichols case is a tender. So if you are buying residential in that complex, you have a right to buy one. Or but, if you buy two units of a residential, you have a maximum three uh, or location of car park lot. But, but it's by tender. But it's by tender. So yes. presumably, if I had bid seven million, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have got one. No, the reserve price nine million from guideline from the developer. The so reserve price nine million. 
I, I've been watching occasionally a, a TV show uh, highlighting beautiful houses for sale in England. A million, a million dollars, Hong Kong will get you a, a million pounds. Or they'll get you a fantastic place. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and this is for a car park. <laughs> it is. But I think this one is something like a very special situation in Hong Kong. Like not many countries will sell car parks separately mm. unless it's really core CBD residential locations. In most of Asian countries, car park is more like inclusive. But in Hong Kong, because people can buy more than one or there's option to not buying, so they start to separate it and the price has gone up quite significantly in the last 10 years. Uh, the the reports that there's a lot of speculation uh, when it comes to to car parking spaces is, is is that the case that people will buy and sell them simply for money that they have become a commodity? I think previously yes, but now it's more people want to have a car park within their residential. So you know, COVID nineteen actually make uh, people shift uh, their perspective. They think that having a car is actually safer than taking a public transport. So actually, car park. Uh, uh, car park uh, or car buying purchase number of uh, purchases actually increased quite significantly in 2020. And if we look at the number of car park sales in 19 versus 2020, actually first-hand residential sales decreased by 26.9 percent, but car park sales number decreased only 1.6 percent. That means people willing to buy car and willing to buy car park when they buy the new residential flat. Yeah. Isn't this potentially socially destabilizing? That because these numbers are in everybody's newspaper, so somebody mm. living in a divided unit, sharing mm. uh, sort of with their family, maybe less than two hundred square feet of space, mm-hmm. actually smaller than some of the car park spaces, and then yeah. seeing that this one is is going listed price, <laughs> reserve price of nine million, and the final price of tender price of 10 million uh i i you can see pitchforks you can see people uh really protesting against this uh wide gulf yes yes absolutely so you can see some of the car park is actually more expensive than residential as you mentioned subdivide units or those tenement buildings their their residential price per square foot if we really divide per square foot we'll not reach this this much money so yeah that that's the big um the dialogue now the rich get richer and poor get poor within hong kong the gap between the rich, the rich and poor is getting wider and i think that's the one of the fundamental um issue we have to worry about is this uh, car parking space is this indicative of you know the market the way things are going or is it just kind of a special case because of the the circumstances and it being a car park and where it is and so on I think my Nicholson case is a little bit special. The, the previous record was the one portion road that was a 6.9 million. That was the highest car park price within the residential. And then my Nicholson break that record um, since they put the regional price of 9 million. But we have to understand they, they paying few tens million dollars for the residential. If they can't get the car park, it, it doesn't really make sense. So um, that's a really the special case. But one thing we also want to highlight, I want to highlight is, you know, Dust Center in Central, that's the office building, and their record price was 7.6 million. 
So it's happening everywhere, not only residential, but also the commercial districts as well. So Kapan has been highly inflated. Previously, people cannot get a mortgage if it's standing along Kapan. Now the, uh, the, the financing is possible. Right. And people feel that, oh, last 10 years, the price gone up quite significantly. So they look at it as a good investment tool, actually. What is the, what is the pr- price of a residential unit there? Let's put this in perspective. If it's $10 million for the car park, how much are they paying for their apartment? I think you can say average, average of $100 million, that's the you, you residential price. Okay, so this is sort of a 10% add-on for your car yes. park? Yes. Okay. So their, their house price can, can go up to like $800 million. Eight hundred a million. Eight hundred. Eight, yes, eight hundred million. I I was reading, <laughs> it's breathtaking. Even the the Mark Six isn't going to do it. The Mark Six, the Mark Six gets you the parking space, doesn't get you the it place is, to live. It is. So it's nudging a billion. Uh, is this? I mean, why why is it in general, Miss Chong? What why is the property market uh, doing so so well in Hong Kong? It doesn't seem to be suffering or barely suffering at all. And what's the what's the turnover like? I mean, the prices don't seem to have gone down. Uh, very much. Um, why is no, that? So, price hasn't really gone down much, even during the COVID. And then now, 2021, we are expecting at least 5 to 7% increment in terms of residential price. So I think fundamentally, we have a very density uh, population mm. to afford a residential. And previously, our housing was snatched by non-Hong Kong people as well. So there was a serious competition. So we always lacking supply and that that was the result of people having a strong desire owning their house. At the same time, they think residential um, investment is something quite safe in the long term. So people also want to buy residential as a for their investment method. I noticed that several developments recently have sold out over the weekend they went on sale. Oh, yes. Uh, the one in um, Taiwai Station, that was very popular. Pavilion Farm, yes. Yes. So, so they... that shows how strong the pent-up demand in the market. Yeah, they were all gone by 6pm on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing we have to be aware is that even Pavilion Farm, there are a number of not-sold not units in the uh, first and second phases. These are the very smaller studio type, like less than 300 square feet. Uh, developer used to put those small units to as an investment tool for the people who want to buy below 10 million uh, lump sum amount because that can have a high leverage ratio. If they want to really get a financing, they can get up to 90%. So that, that was a uh, sort of a strategy from the developer, they cut it really small and they make a lump sum lower than 10 million. But now people know that those smaller units, as you say, smaller the car park, very hard to lease out. It's difficult to find a tenant, so it's no longer uh, looking at as an investment tool. So people hesitate to buy those smaller units, and I think developers need to look, review their strategy not putting those kind of two small units. And it's not really good for the citizen as well. Like you don't want to live in 200 square foot paying over like close to 10 million units. Okay, well, Hannah Jong, many thanks for, for joining us. Thank you for your help. Uh, Head of Valuation and Advisory Services at uh, Colliers uh, in Hong Kong. Mike, many thanks to I, you. I feel poor.
<laughs> Eight hundred million is is pushing well, it. Somebody it? spent a billion, didn't they? Did they on oh, the right. peak itself? Yeah, for a, a freestanding house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the weather mainly cloudy with a couple of uh, showers. Sunny periods during the day. Temperatures up to the, uh, 31 degrees today. And the outlook: occasional showers and thunderstorms forecast for the next couple of days. 28 degrees. The latest readings with a relative humidity now of 78 percent. Back tomorrow. The deadline for special voter registration is July 5th. Individuals eligible to register as ex officio members in the election committee, individuals and bodies eligible to register as election committee subsector voters, whether currently registered or not, and for functional constituencies, newly eligible or affected existing electors eligible for another functional constituency, should submit their registration applications by July 5th. Visit the voter registration website for details. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Butler. Germany's governing Christian Democrats are celebrating a convincing victory in a key state election, the last before national polls in September. The first results put them at 36% in Saxony-Anhalt. The results are a big boost for the new CDU leader, Armin Laschet, who hopes to succeed Angela Merkel as chancellor. Polls have closed in Mexico after midterm elections seen as a test of support for President Andres Manuel López Obrador. He's hoping his Morena party will retain its two-thirds majority in Congress to continue the social and welfare reforms he calls the fourth transformation. And Meghan Markle and Prince Harry have announced the birth of their second child, a baby girl who they've named Lilibet Diana. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Thanks very much, Sam. And a very good morning to you. Uh, this is James Ross, in for Phil for one day only, on the Morning Brew through till one.